0: Half-Life Alex is reported to be one of the best VR experiences ever, and that's saying a lot in a world that includes Beat Saber, The Climb, Star Trek Bridge Crew, and more. Touting a VR game as the best experience, man, I mean that's saying a lot. So we're going to dive right into it with Nick Sutrick from Mobile Nations. Plus, we have a brand new segment for you from co-producer and now guest host Clifton M. Thomas. It's the benefit of a doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd. It's launch week for this podcast, which means that this episode is actually current for you, which has to be exciting. Tonight, we're taking a deep dive into Half Life Alex, but I don't want you to be turned off. Despite VR being the subject of two out of five top stories so far, this is not a VR podcast, this is a tech podcast hosted by someone who is a big fan of vr so bear with me i know vr is niche but you know it's my niche but that isn't all this podcast is about no 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 we've got a brand new segment coming your way from cliff but first we have to get into the news of the week Amazon Prime Video has some great content to enjoy, but one of the biggest headaches, especially with a family of four, is getting everyone else's recommendations. Netflix knows that. Hulu knows that. But for some reason, it took until 2020 for Amazon to figure it out. Hell, even Disney Plus had profiles in the first week of launch. This is not hard, people. Lord only knows why it took so long to come up with this. Probably because Amazon Prime Video's interface is already terrible and maybe adding in a good idea is against company policy. We can only Right now, the new feature, which will make so many lives so much better, is in a limited trial rollout, and no, I'm not one of them. So for now, I'll have to keep skipping over the Dora the Explorer recommendations to get to the Jean-Claude Van Damme flicks. Unless, of course, I'm mistaken, and Dora the Explorer is a recommendation based on Van Damme. Maybe it's worth watching. No, 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 that's just how they get you. When life gives you unemployed strippers, you make lemonade or at least that's what the owner of Lucky Devil Lounge in Portland is doing. During the coronavirus shutdown of the state, Lucky Devil had to close its doors. But they are still able to make food deliveries, and what do you know? We just happen to have a few dozen half-naked women standing around looking for something to do. Now, I'm not going to get up on the soapbox here. Objectifying women is wrong in a lot of different ways. But if we're going with absolute candor here, these dancers are full-time contractors working for the club, and now they're out of work. So that really sucks for their income. So the owner, Sean Bolden, started up a new business, Boober Eats. He's still got a kitchen and can still deliver food, so now when you order undoubtedly day-old chicken wings from Boober Eats, you get two strippers delivering the food, along with a security guard to make sure no touchy-touchy. Meanwhile, bartenders and other staff members are also still employed, cooking, taking phone calls, packing orders, and so on. Everything that I've read about this says that this is a very Portland, Oregon thing to do, and if you only look at the face of this thing... It really is innovative AF, and I applaud it. But I'm not going to look too much deeper into it, because I suspect I probably won't like what I find. As discussed last week on the podcast, coronavirus is putting a lot of people out of work. With the coronavirus crawling into American shores and planting its flag at the base of Mount Rushmore, the federal government is starting to look at bailouts for the American people and for corporations because, well, Republicans are in charge. But one set of companies The Verge thinks should not be bailed out is the cruise industry, and there's one very simple reason for that. They're not American companies. Oh, sure, they have headquarters in Miami, and most of their top execs surely enjoy the surf, sun, and fun of the East Coast, but cruise lines themselves are incorporated in places like Panama and Bermuda, so guess what? They don't pay taxes here in the States. Maybe they pay a little bit of property tax for some buildings, though I doubt it. And maybe, sure, they pay some employees who spend tax dollars in Miami, but a good majority of their business dealings takes place off of American soil, so why should we bail them out? Yes, this is turning a bit political, but it's an election year, so let's bring this back to tech. Cruise ships are enormous polluters. Like, the average cruise ships that sail around Europe put out more sulfur dioxide than all of the cars driving around in Europe, and that's... Well, that's a lot. Make them solar-powered or wind-powered or at least less crappy for the environment and maybe we can have a conversation. Oh, and by the way, register in America and pay taxes if you want the American government to help you out. And here's a quick update. The American government did not help them out, so go screw yourself cruise lines. Oh, and on the same day, The Verge also published a piece urging cities to reclaim streets for pedestrians and less cars. And while that is a sentiment I could be on board with, I honestly don't see it happening. Last week, Apple dropped the new iPad Pro and MacBook Air. Apple also unleashed a new iPad Pro keyboard with trackpad, and now reviews are starting to drop on those devices. Specifically today, we're going to focus on the iPad Pro. The Verge says that this sure is the best iPad ever made, but it's also the latest iPad ever made, so, you know, duh. Most of the goodies you get with this iPad are either not fully developed or they're goodies that you get elsewhere. The new iPad has LiDAR. So the hell what? The new iPad has trackpad support. So does every other iPad. So we struggle to find just who should buy this iPad and not an older iPad, which is fractionally worse, but significantly cheaper. CNET agrees and also notes that while the trackpad and the cursor on the iPad operate in a very intuitive way, there's still a ways to go in things like selecting text, which is kind of important. Selecting text, by the way, sucks when using a finger on the iPad, so maybe that's just part of Apple's charm. And Wired sums it all up by saying, it's the best iPad you can get, but you can get an earlier iPad and a pretty darn good one for a lot less. Programming note, I have a 7th generation iPad with smart keyboard and they both work great. Just saying. I was legitimately surprised when I read that Royal debuted an all-new smartphone, the FlexPi 2, this year. I'm surprised for a number of reasons. First, because as far as I knew, the original FlexPi wasn't even on sale yet. Second, because I've tried a lot of products from Royal, and none of them have had a successor. So when I heard about the FlexPi 2, soon to be known as the Escobar Fold 3, my ears perked up. The FlexPi 2 improves over the original, which isn't saying much because it was a depressingly low bar. Sorry, Royal, but... Come on, the folding display can fold up to a millimeter in diameter, which is tiny, and the screen folds around the outside of a device, kind of like a Huawei Mate X, but with 100% more Google services. Yes, this means the device will be terribly scratch-prone, but I'm legitimately interested in this. I'm curious to see if Royal is going to make a run at this, or if the FlexPi 2 is just a launching pad for slipping into bed with ZTE. Either way, I suppose more folding phones means more folding fun, so I'm all in. If nothing else, Royal knows they have a customer in Roberto Escobar. NASA runs a space mission called STEREO, or Solar Terrestrial Relations Observatory. And by the way, sometimes I feel like NASA's just trying a little too hard on these acronyms. Anyway, STEREO picked up an image of the Sun, and Venus, and the Earth, and a weird-looking wheel-shaped object headed right for us. But a UFO debunker called UFO of Interest quickly pointed out that the object was simply an image artifact caused by internal reflections of a planet. Oh, it was an image artifact caused by internal reflections of a planet. It's okay, guys. It's okay. It's just an artifact caused by internal reflections of a planet, which sounds a lot better than, you know, weather balloon or swamp gas reflecting whatever the hell they said at Area 51, all I know is between coronavirus and this giant space wheel headed right towards us, I'm just not sleeping anymore. And speaking of sleeping, Reddit is a constant source of good questions that you might not even think you want to know the answer to, but it turns out... You do. Like this Redditor who asked, how do sleeping dolphins not run out of air? And the answer is actually fairly simple. When a dolphin sleeps, it basically only turns off half of its brain at a time. The other half is able to monitor surroundings for predators and direct the dolphin to the surface when it's time to take a breath. Halfway through the sleep cycle, the dolphin switches sides and the other half takes over. Now I can confirm that this is absolutely possible. And I spent four years in college studying this phenomenon. Not studying dolphins, studying myself sitting in classes. Plus, back in high school, when I had an 8 a.m. geometry class, I slept through most of the classes, and I was one of only two students who never got below a B on a single test. That was my proudest achievement in high school, but then I did go to a Chicago public high school, so, you know, fairly low bar. And of course, one thing you will not want to sleep through is a one-month free trial of CBS All Access being offered during the coronavirus pandemic. Sir Patrick Stewart of Star Trek Picard fame announced the new deal, which you should definitely take advantage of. You've got epic shows like Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, along with a serious slate of dramas like MacGyver, Hawaii Five-0, and right now you're probably thinking to yourself... What year is this? And you're right, CBS has rebooted a ton of hokey shows from the 80s and 90s, which is cheesy, but I kind of love them. Also this week saw the season one finale of Star Trek Picard, and folks, it's really good. You just need to see it. I wouldn't even mind if you paused the podcast, went, signed up for CBS All Access, binged Picard, and came right back to finish the show. You know, as long as you come back and finish the show. But yeah, it's that good, so get it. Android Authority published its review of the Huawei Mate XS, which is Huawei's second foldable phone. And yeah, it comes from Huawei, so I'm going to lead off this segment with a direct quote from the review itself. Quote, In what follows, I'll necessarily be taking two things as a given. First, that you're on board with the basic premise of an expensive foldable device. And second, that the absence of Google apps and services on recent Huawei devices isn't a deal breaker for you. And yes, it's absolutely a deal breaker, so that's all I have to say here. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Elon Musk and his statement that he would start making ventilators if there was a shortage. A user on Twitter was quick to point out that there is actually a shortage now, so make with the ventilating, Elon. Well, Musk is a man of his word, except of course when those words are about self-driving, that is, so Tesla is currently in the process of reworking a part of a gigafactory in Buffalo, New York, to start making ventilators. Good on you, Elon. It's always nice when a social leader takes responsibility for his own words like this, so credit where it's due. Well done, sir. You have our thanks. Now, the trick is to convert the factory and actually start making ventilators, which may not be terribly straightforward, and I have to wonder if all this will be done before, you know, the coronavirus blows over. I'm far from an expert in this, so I'll reserve comment, but good going all the same, Elon. Zoom is an invaluable tool for companies, especially now that the world is under self-quarantine. However, when travel company TripActions decided to use this invaluable tool to lay off around 100 workers at once, it didn't go well. What the customer service reps thought would be a standard meeting turned sour very quickly as the first item on the agenda was also the last item on the agenda... Hasta la bye-bye. And if that sounds cold, it's because it really was cold. Imagine 100 different videos all playing at once with varying levels of shock, sadness, and horror all at once, and all streamed to each other. Now imagine that you're the one that showed up late to that conference call. This is one of those few times when it's actually better to use email rather than an instant communication tool like that, if for no better reason than to allow people to cope in their own way in private. Trip actions. You are a bad monkey and you do not get a cookie. It's probably for the better that I'd never heard of them before and probably never will again. Well, you know what I mean. Stuart Butterfield, the CEO of Slack, has undoubtedly had a very interesting month. On the one hand, he got a ton of new signups from people and companies newly working from home suddenly using Slack. On the other hand, he had a ton of customer support for new customers and companies newly working from home suddenly trying to figure out how to use Slack. Butterfield launched a long Twitter thread detailing what the last month was like for him, day by day. And he included a few of his Slack messages to team members, some of which were very decent. Things like, no matter how overwhelmed you are, we got this. Help when you can. Ask for help if you need it. Overall, it's a very good read, but it's a long thread, so maybe wait for a coffee break or something. Whatever the case, Stuart Butterfield, we salute you for sharing, and we urge you to keep on doing what you're doing because it's inspiring and, frankly, you're making some real bank right now. Apple is offering 90-day trials of its video editing software Final Cut Pro and brand new audio editing software called Logic Pro. That's an awesome trial period for arguably great software if you need to edit videos or audio. Now, I can't speak for that because, despite being on a Mac more than half the time, I actually don't use Final Cut. I'm firmly embedded in the Adobe ecosystem, despite how bad some of their software is. But this podcast is being edited on Audition, and any videos I make which are precious few of late, are done on Premiere. And that's mainly because Adobe is cross-platform compatible, so I can edit on anything. Final Cut and Logic Pro are both Mac OS only. Don't get me wrong, it'd be nice to just buy the software once and get rid of the subscription stuff, but I can live with it since I use a ton of Adobe software and make it worth it. But if you're curious and you're on a Mac, you've got three months to test it out. Some creators I know swear by Final Cut, so maybe it's worth a shot. Personally, I have found Premiere and Audition to be delightfully intuitive, which definitely flies in the face of most other Adobe software. Fortunately, those two are the two that I use most. Reply All Hell is a special place reserved for corporate drones who either don't understand the Reply All function, don't understand the Reply All technology, or are just plain mean, but you'll be happy to know that even a technological bastion like Microsoft is susceptible to the perils of the Reply All, as 50,000 Microsoft employees are currently ensnared in a Reply All fiasco this past Friday, undoubtedly made even worse since most of those people were probably working from home. I really don't have much else to say here except that Reply All bombs are much like Sharknado sequels. It's really best to just ignore them and hope they stop on their own. And finally, Beat Saber, the popular VR game and subject of our discussion of a couple weeks ago, dropped a new music pack from artist Timbaland this past Thursday, and folks, it's pretty tight. I played all five songs on Expert, including one full combo, plus I've pulled down two Expert Plus finishes as well. Very good songs to be had here, plus, now that I've reported on them, they're tax-deductible. But that's not all the VR we have to talk about today. Half-Life Alex dropped this week, and reviews are starting to come out, universally calling this the best VR experience you can buy. And that's pretty huge. But before we get into that, we've got a short segment from Cliff called How Bad Could It Be?
1: If you walked outside right now, assuming you're not outside right now, and if you are, get back inside, there's a pandemic... There's a slight chance that if you held your hands up, a pair of true wireless earbuds might just land in them. They're everywhere. And if you're not a discerning audiophile, they are, as our friends in the United Kingdom say, cheap as chips. Seriously, Amazon has true wireless earbuds for as little as $10. Now, I'm not suggesting you should buy items like those, but you could. Also, that's why I'm here, to see what your money gets you at prices like that. I'm just really curious to see if good gadgets can be held at a really good price, like a $50 or less kind of price, hopefully more like less than $20 because really, how bad could it be? So, for this, my debut segment here on Benefit of the Doubt, I will be reviewing true wireless earbuds, but not those in the $10-ish price range. But don't worry, I'll definitely torture myself with something like that in a future episode. That's right, listeners, I do that for you, so you don't have to. This time, I wanted to find out how much you could get, like, in features... For as little as possible, like, here was my search criteria. I wanted water and sweat resistance, USB-C charging and cheap compatible wireless charging, decent battery life, sound that's not fatiguing, and good comfort for my ears. All of that, as I said earlier, for as little as possible. So what I found was a sparse selection, and I settled on the EarFun Free from EarFun. First of all, let's talk about that name. There's just no great way to say it. The free from earfun? Free from earfun? Earfun free? Yeah, I honestly don't know how to say that and not either feels super awkward or dirty or both. So moving on, here's some of the negatives besides the bad 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 name. The charging case is large compared to a lot of the competition. They are definitely not AirPods case small you will know the case is in your pocket. The buds themselves are not the lightest I've used. Once the right earbud is dead, they are done. But that's it. Otherwise, these are surprisingly good. There's the obvious good stuff. They have the option for a USB-C and wireless charging that's G-compatible. That's not something you generally find for less than $100 in these. The mics have noise cancellation for when you're making calls. That's not half bad. Like My wife could actually understand what I was saying and sounded almost like I was on the phone they're rated at IPX7 for water and sweat resistance so they can be your workout buds if that's your thing so the comfort for these was actually really good for me despite having a melon head I actually have very small ear holes which takes me back to the name ear fun but anyway yeah the fit was really good for me once I found the tips that suited my uh, ears Obviously, that's going to vary depending on the person. You may not find that these fit well for you at all, but that was my experience. Uh, The sound was just awesome for continued listening. It's tuned more towards the mid-range, and it's got a little punch of bass, which means it's going to suit the tastes of most people out there. I guess if you're really into classical music, these might not be for you. Finally, there's the price. $50! Holy crap! I can't believe these are as good as they are at that price. Check the link in the show notes uh, for further details. So, how bad could it be? Not bad, Earfun. Not bad at all. Now, you might need to talk about that name, though, because... Yeah, no. (laughs)
0: When I first started seeing the reviews drop for Half-Life Alex, I was kind of blown away. I mean, this is being touted as the best of the best of the best, with honors. From amazing storytelling to incredible graphics, Half-Life Alex promises to deliver an amazing VR experience. And we're going to start a review roundup with Sam Makovec over at Ars Technica, who says, quote... Half-Life Alyx is a must-play video game for anyone in a position to do so. If you already have access to the required technology, a full VR headset system, a robust computer, and a reasonable amount of space to move your arms while otherwise blind to the real world, You're in for a video game that pushes the notion of full-length VR adventure to its limits. The 15 hours required to beat Half- life Alyx on a first playthrough are dense. They are beautiful. They are full of unique puzzles, immersive combat, bona fide terror, and storytelling beats that all understand what does and does not work when translating a flat-screen gaming franchise to a hand-tracked virtual reality meanwhile ben kuchera at polygon called half-life alex a masterpiece he goes on to say quote fighting back is easy doing so under pressure is not especially while juggling in-game locomotion and physically ducking behind cover or peeking around corners to return fire and getting used to always searching for ammo and reloading as quickly as possible but Half-Life Alex's difficulty curve is expertly handled. I always felt like I was ready for the next challenge, even if it took me a few tries to work out the best tactical solution for each battle. And Yaz's reviewer, whose name is almost certainly not pronounced Devendra Hardwar, calls the game quote the flagship single player experience that the vr industry needs right now saying quote i found it to be an incredibly immersive experience that takes full advantage of the scale that vr offers it's easy to feel dwarfed by alien striders casually walking across rooftops and the immense buildings floating far off in the distance the game's sound design takes full advantage of positional 3d audio and trust me you'll get to know the horrendous facehuggers up close and personal half life alex is easily the most polished vr title i've encountered unfortunately personally i'm not able to play the game on an oculus quest without a gaming pc to go along with it i definitely want to invest in a strong enough pc sometime in the future but for now i am without but all is not lost because i happen to know a great vr reviewer who is willing to jump on a podcast kind of last minute for a review so without further ado let's hear what it's like firsthand. My next guest on the Benefit of a Doubt podcast was once the VR and home automation editor at Android Headlines, now playing his craft at Future Labs. In fact, it's Windows Central for whom he is in the process of reviewing the subject of our discussion, Half-Life Alex. Nick Sutrich, welcome to the podcast.
2: No worries. Glad to be on.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. I've been wanting to chat with you for a while now, and by a while I mean as long as this podcast has existed, so like thirty <laughs> days. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, we've been we've been chatting offline, and you are in the middle of your review for Half Life Alex for Windows Central, and because of that, I said, "Ooh, ooh, let's let's chat about that," because everything that I've read about this game seems to indicate that this is like the best thing to happen to VR since. Like VR, so um, I was wondering, are you kind of in line with the the things that I'm hearing from the reviews?
2: Yeah, it's. I would say it's definitely the best VR shooter. Um, maybe okay. we should say single player shooter because we got a bunch of multiplayer ones that, you know, obviously don't compete because there's not multiplayer in this game. Uh, okay, but it's it, it's incredible. Um, Valve definitely crafted something that I would expect of them. And okay. they did not miss the mark at all. Um,
0: gotcha. It, Very cool.
2: Valve is a really interesting company because, for the most part, they only put out a game when it makes sense to either on a technological level, a thematic level, storytelling level. Something has to be. I want to. Necessar- I don't want to necessarily say groundbreaking, but a big deal. Like it has to be something new, something they're pushing forward, and. Half-Life has kind of always been a series for that. Um, like, the original had scripted events in a way that we really never saw in a game before it. Okay. Um, and then the second one, you had facial animations and physics. They had, like, the gravity gun. And, you know, physics weren't exclusive to Half-Life, but it did stuff differently and better than almost anything else at the time. And, and that's kind of the same way Alex works. Um, in Half-Life Alex, you know, we have other shooters. We have other VR shooters. We have plenty of science fiction games. Um, but just all the pieces put together really make something special and worth having a VR headset for.
0: Really? Okay. All right. And actually yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask I am not all that familiar with the Half Life timeline. Like I know it's been like something like thirteen years since the last entry in the Half Life saga, so a lot of people have been clamoring for some kind of like this isn't even a sequel, this is more of just like a almost like a side quest from, from everything that I've read. It's like not exactly in, it's not exactly consistent with the Half-Life timeline. Is that right?
2: Uh, or it's yeah, like a sort new of perspective. Yeah. Yep. So you had the, the first one came out in 1998 and then Half-Life two came out in 2004. I don't remember when episodes one and two came out. I want to say it was like 2006, 2007 timeframe. Okay. Um, but this takes place five years before uh, Half-Life two. Uh, Basically, before the fall of the Citadel in in the story timeline, if you're familiar with it. Um, And you play as Alex, who was... uh, I mean, so in all the other games, you you play as Gordon Freeman. And Alex, at least in the Half-Life 2 timeline, was a big part of the story. um, Particularly her and her father. Uh so it's really cool to play as her and kind of see these events that you you know never would have seen otherwise and get that part of the backstory.
0: Okay. Okay. So this is kind of like the black widow of the Half-Life Timeline. Is that is yeah, that about right?
2: Basically, yeah. That's that's okay. fair.
0: <laughs> okay, that that's a timely reference. We can go with that. Okay, good. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um so like what so one of the reviews that I read, I wanna say it was Polygon's review. Uh, uh, mentioned that you know games in general are about repeated gestures and he actually had a name for it i think it was uh uh, like action loops or something like that like something that you have to do over and over again in order to progress a game to go forward like the 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 example that they used was pulling back on the slingshot in angry birds you know like you know you pull it back you let it go you pull it back you let it go so what i was what i what i read in that review was that the action loops of half-life alex are damn near perfect in that like they're intuitive and they're easy to learn and yet they're just challenging enough that they keep the game moving forward can you describe that to any extent
2: Yeah, I I actually haven't read that review, so that's a nice way to put it. Um, Okay. Valve really did a painstaking job of crafting things very thoroughly and very intelligently. Um, So when it comes to VR, uh, like let's take user interface, for example, right? Um, Most traditional user interfaces don't work well in VR. Um, There are a couple of games that we'll say they put you in a spacesuit, right? And you can see out the helmet and you'll have a HUD. So you have like your health bar on the top and, you know, little things like that around the screen. And those always feel awkward in VR anytime they do that. Uh, In Half-Life Alyx, for instance, uh, what they did was they put your health and your ammo on the back of your glove and they made the gloves part of the story. So the gloves are gravity gloves, basically, right? And it kind of goes hand in hand with the gravity gun that I was talking about earlier in Half-Life 2. So that already fits well into that part of the universe. Okay. Um, And then there's a lot of other uh, little details that are audible. So when you're pulling the clip, uh, like you have a backpack where you put your ammo, right? And when you're pulling a clip out of your backpack, you just reach behind you and grab it, and then you load your gun with it. When you get to the last clip, she'll say something like, oh, crap, that's the last clip or something like that. So you're not constantly looking at a number somewhere. You're not worried about the interface it just feels natural, like you're talking Hmm. to yourself almost, is they really encourage exploration. It's a really linear game. Um, I Mm -hmm. would say that's one of its only faults, is pretty much once you play through it, you've played through it. There's not necessarily a lot of side... There's no side quests. There's not a lot of extra things to do, unless you just feel like playing with the physics, which are fun. But for the most part, playing through it once is kind of how you do it. Um, I'm curious to see if they add anything else in the future. But, Hmm. yeah, I, I... I would say as long as you're paying attention to the environment, as long as you're looking around, I don't think you'll hear that clip all that often. Even, even on hard mode, which um, I would definitely recommend playing on hard. Okay. And that kind of goes in with the environmental building and the world building that Valve's done with this. And, you know, I've loved the Half-Life series. I've been on each one since release. Like, I jumped on it right away. I played through all of them. I love the whole series, but I never appreciated the lore and the characters as much as I did in this one. Um, okay. And and I don't think I realized how scary the world of Half-Life was until this.
0: I, I heard several I a couple of the reviews mentioned that there were like some real horror elements involved with this with this thing as well. And actually a few of the gameplay, like the trailers and the and the gameplay uh, videos that I watched, it's just like, yeah, there was some, there was some, like, jump scares in there, it's like, whoa, wait, <laughs> you know, like, that's, um, I'm not even wearing a headset, and, like, I'm jumping back in my chair.
2: Right, yeah, and, and, I mean, there's even simple things like, yeah, okay, I knew these enemies were zombies, but I don't think I really put two and two together, and understood just how scary some of these enemies are, like, you have these, you know, you have the headcrabs, which are iconic to Half-Life, that mm-hmm. jump and sort of land on your face like uh, like in the movie Alien, right? You have this similar kind of thing, right? You know, but these these will take over you and turn you into a zombie, and just even if you if you shoot the zombie and you kill the zombie and don't kill the head crab, the head crab comes after you.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I totally get that, and I mean like I've even played like you know Vader Immortal, and like Darth Vader walks up in front of you, and dude, that guy's intimidating. Like right. like <laughs> I never knew you were so tall, <laughs> and, yeah, and right. So, like, I want to get back into, like, a little bit of the mechanics of the game. Like, how, how are those, how are the mechanics in the game? Because, like, some games feel really good. Like, I've played, you know, like, using the example of, like, Drop Dead, that actually kind of makes sense. You know, you've got the holster in front of you, and when you, you, know, when you grab your gun, you can kind of feel that it's grabbing. So, like, how are the mechanics of the game? You, you, Valve paid attention to a lot of the details, so I'm assuming they're good, but, like, how are they good?
2: Some games, like you said, use a holster mechanic, right? Um, i played plenty of those. we got like one gun in each hip, maybe like a gun around the back. Um, The most recent Walking Dead game did that. And for the most part, I like that style. But I think I might appreciate Valve's method better. Um, So basically in this, uh, you would click the right stick on your right controller. And then it sort of pops up. um, I'm trying to think. Of another game that does something similar to this. It's like a grid, and then you move your your hand up to or down or whatever to whatever weapon you're trying to equip, right? Hmm, okay. And a quick click on it and not moving it anywhere will swap between empty hand and whatever you just were holding. But this mechanic I felt like was really good for if you're going in a room and you got a bunch of assorted enemies and you need to take out, maybe precision shoot a few, and then use the shotgun to just blow away the rest of them, it's pretty easy to switch between them without fumbling. And I, I... That's the hardest thing about, like, a holster mechanic, I feel like, is, yeah, you know, they're sort of naturally on your hip if this is real life, but, I mean, VR still feels a little more awkward than real life would be, because you don't really have your hands. Right. You know, and and even if tracking is essentially identical to real life, it still doesn't feel like that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely definitely see where you're going with that.
2: And then movement, they have four different styles of movement. Um, Mm -hmm. You have... Two are teleport style, which it defaults to. You either have the blink or the slide. I like the slide. I think it's a a nice visual without making you feel sick for for whoever would get sick by a free joystick movement. Right. And then they have the joystick movement type thing, which um, actually one of the reasons why I like waiting sometimes a week out from a game's release to review it is you always get those day one, day two, day three patches. And uh, Valve already patched um, a new turning mechanic in because one of the, I'd say only complaints I saw from people as far as movement's concerned is that you can only do a quick turn. So when you, you know, flip the right joystick, it turns like 15 degrees at a time. Okay. Um, and they just patched in smooth turning. So it works like your normal dual stick controller would.
0: Okay. Yeah. So similar to like, uh, what do they call it? Uh, strafing and turning something like that.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Which I suck at both, but I would actually probably <laughs> personally I would go with joystick movement just because I've never been a fan of teleport movement. I just I can't get it. It it doesn't register with my brain for some reason. Like, That's fair. Yeah, I want to go there. Well, and then like my body's like, well then just freaking go there, idiot. You know. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, and I
2: I usually like joystick movement, but for some reason the the um, the other teleport, the one where it slides you versus blinking you, I like it better in this and i think part of that is the movement speed so when okay. you're using the the joystick movement it's pretty slow
0: one of the one of the things i was kind of impressed with with the um and and also kind of also guarded about was in some of the trailers and some of the gameplay that i saw there were like various actions that you had to do that weren't necessarily, like, obvious. Like, in order to open a door, sometimes you had to grab, like, two handles and pull to either side. Or if you wanted to go to a certain area, you had to, like, break off boards in order to get in there first. And it's just, like, there didn't seem to be, like, like on a game like The Climb, you know, you know where you can grab because they're marked with chalk. But, like, in, in something like this, there didn't seem to be, like, any visual cues to show you, like, you need to do this in order to move forward. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and I don't know if they maybe do a little more, you know, tool tips or hints or something on, on easier difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the whole thing through on hard. So, you know, I, I didn't check the easier <laughs> but ones. No but no big yes, deal. Yes, <laughs> you... <laughs> I I made myself do it because I, I read people saying that normal was too easy. And, and I agree, I played a little bit of normal and it's... It's, it almost feels like hand-holding at times. Like it, The hard just gives it such an incredible atmosphere. But back to your point, yeah, I, I agree with that. And in the beginning of the game, I actually got a little frustrated with some of the puzzles because okay. they're not obvious. Like there's this one uh, when you're first getting into the initial quarantine zone and you're pulling these handles up and one of the handles is red, which is sort of a video game trope, pull the red handle, whatever, right? It's, right. Right. Like a red barrel explodes, okay? These are things we all know. And you pull the red handle, but there's three other sections of it, and I couldn't figure out where the handle was, and I felt like an idiot. And I'm like, the handle's gray, and I'm like, well, I know I can't pull that. And sure enough, I try to pull it. You can't pull the gray handle. You can only pull the red one. Right. And I realize that you're supposed to spin these cylinders around to make the laser thing line up through the three of them.
0: Huh. But it Spoiler wasn't... Spoiler alert, but okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, whatever, it's one puzzle, it's not, I'm not gonna tell you all the other ones.
0: Right, right, okay, <laughs> neat, I mean, it's. it sounds great, I wish that I could play it, I don't have, I don't have a, a PC powerful enough to push, even through, like, the Oculus Link, so, um, sadly, I won't be able to play it myself, which is a large part of the reason why you're on the show, and but we're going to call that a good thing because that brought you onto the show. So did you have any final thoughts about, uh, about uh, Half-Life, Alex, that you wanted to share before we wrap things up?
2: Uh, I, I mean, I think the only last one was kind of what you were saying as far as uh, visuals go. I, I'm really impressed with what they were able to pull off with this. Like, okay. Typically in VR games, I feel like uh, developers keep objects fairly simple. They keep textures fairly simple um and it's because VR is so demanding oh, on yeah. hardware oh yeah and this game not only performs well but it looks so much better than anything i've seen in VR like i i constantly would just stand there and stare at the environment and wonder how the heck they did this <laughs>
0: <laughs> which which like, i mean is it's is...
2: impressive
0: <laughs> and 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 coming from you know someone like you who's played just about every VR game that's come out i mean that's that's saying a lot and and like again you're joining the ranks of the different reviewers i cited three of them in the earlier in the podcast but i mean i've i've read more even today about uh you know how this is like the best thing to happen to vr now personally i think beat saber is the best thing to happen to vr but you know that's just me but um i'm i'm
2: with you it's it's like i said it's the best vr shooter
0: right Right. And it's just and just just the fact that it was getting such rave reviews, I had to, you know, I wanted to talk to somebody who had actually played it and and might be able to echo some of those sentiments. Well, Nick Sutrick, thank you again for uh, coming onto the show and telling us all about Half-Life, Alex. Um, Where can we find you on the socials if we were so inclined?
2: Uh, once I jump back on Twitter, um, will you put a link to or something to that? Or should I just yeah, say I do,
0: it? Yeah, no, I'll do it. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it is, is not exactly, uh, user-friendly to <laughs> say on a podcast, but how right. do you pronounce that?
2: I guess it's Guanatu. It's, it's actually, um, I got the name from Star Wars The Old Republic, uh, Knights of The Old Republic, I'm sorry, back in the day. I just, I clicked a random name and it gave me this name and I just, I liked it, so I stuck with it. Huh.
0: <laughs> All right. I was actually i so. was I was going to ask you about that offline, but as yeah. <laughs> as long as we're here, <laughs> thank
2: Kotor so. for that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: So all right. So I will uh, I will definitely link that in the show notes, and that is on Twitter and Instagram and all those, that fun stuff. And you pretty can, much
2: yeah, I keep it across the board.
0: Yeah, and you can follow his writing at all the various artists formerly known as mobile nations properties so windows central and android central and uh, all that fun stuff nick sutrick once again thanks for coming on i really appreciate it and hope we can have you on again sometime
2: thank you me too
0: So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Nick Sutrich from Android Headlines for lending a last-minute hand to our show here, and I would like to thank co-producer Cliff Thomas for his new segment and for all his hard work behind the scenes. Now that we've officially launched, please remember to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review. It's especially critical in these first few weeks. But overall, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and for subscribing, and as always, for giving me the benefit of the doubt.